Hi FI Europeans, this is Matthias and today I interview Dina. She's an entrepreneur living in Switzerland with roots in the US. And she's a great role model and showing us one thing, how to make your dreams happen. Having an idea and enjoying the journey to ship it to the customer, although it's sometimes tough. After a corporate career in the oil industry, working in venture capital and having lived in so many countries, Dina founded her passion business around innovation in the food industry. And in this episode you can find out how she approached building it, how to finance it and what advice she has to offer for people who also want to move towards the entrepreneur quadrant of life. I'm pretty sure that this will inspire some of you to turn your curiosity or hobby into a business that makes you leaving the bed on Monday with a smile. Some people also ask to listen to interviews on YouTube and as we also recorded a video while talking, I will share this with you in our channel this week. Find the link in the show notes and let us know if you see any additional value in this or not. Take care. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta and Matthias. It's great dreaming of all the things you'll be doing once you reach FI. But it feels even better helping others reach their dreams. That's where Kiva comes in. Kiva.org provides an online platform that allows people like us to crowdfund microloans of $25 from the comfort of our laptops. Kiva is a non-profit that helps poor people living in mostly third world countries who don't earn much. Banks would not lend to them, which means they struggle to start and grow their own businesses. My name is Lance and I've been on Kiva since 2008. And last year I created a team on Kiva called Bring Hope to the World and we're already in the top 2% of all Kiva teams. It would be amazing if you could join our team on Kiva and help us get to the top 1%. Thank you. Also, more information on how to sign up for Kiva you can find in the show notes. So hello everybody to another episode of the FI Europe podcast. Um, today we are also recording the episode. Uh, we are not sure if we publish it afterwards, but um, yeah, put some pressure on us to, to, to post it and ask for it. And um, today it was me in the studio, in my new home studio, I have online uh, Dima. Hi Dima, say hi to the audience. Hi, I'm Dina. And you, you've been introduced to me by, by Tim. We had Tim in, I think, in May in the podcast. And he was a colleague of you um, in, I think, Shell, this yeah. oil company, where the stock doesn't look very good at all currently. Yeah. And yeah, and he, he also said a lot of good things about you, that you're also an entrepreneur. And that's why I thought it's worth reaching out. And um, yeah, the topic today I would like to talk with you is um, about a lifestyle business, how to build a business that is maybe not a new bank, but a nice um, lifestyle business and how you did it and, and so on. And yeah, maybe you would like to introduce yourself a little bit, um, tell us something about your background and so on. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Matthias. I really yes. like your new studio. I think you put a lot of effort into that nice design. I like the hype in the background. So <laughs> good for you. I'm yeah, here in my uh, office as well. And uh, I think we all did some 2020 upgrades to, to make everything yes. a little prettier. So um, yeah, it's great to be here. So I'm Dina. I'm, uh, I'm German-American and I now live in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. um, been here for the last two and a half years in uh, close to Zurich. Mm -hmm. And before that, I lived in the Netherlands, where, as I mentioned, I used to work for Shell uh, with Tim. 
I'm originally an engineer. So I studied environmental engineering in London, and then I started working as a petroleum engineer for Shell. And that work was on gas platforms in the North Sea. And then I uh, moved to Iraq and I worked in the oil field there. And then with the last oil crisis in 2016, things changed a little and I decided to leave the industry and um, do something else. And uh, that was probably the first point where I dove into um, entrepreneur realism, entrepreneurism <laughs> for the first time in a serious capacity. Actually, I, I tried to, uh, to build up a little startup back then, really having no clue at all about anything. Mm-hmm. It was also a, kind of a deep dive into the, the way the world had changed digitally. Despite being an engineer, we don't all know how to code and program and are aware of this mm-hmm. uh, very, very fast-moving world that we're in. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I spent some time like exploring new things, um, mm-hmm. traveled for a while, took a sabbatical, and then I moved to Switzerland. Here I worked in venture capital first. Mm-hmm. So I worked for two VCs in Zurich and then um, mm-hmm. for about a year. And then after that, I worked for a small Swiss software company. And now I'm in the food business. <laughs> it's kind of one of these really great chances that life sometimes offers you where, you know, you have a little passion for something and, mm. it, you know, you take it, you dare to take it a little bit further and a little bit further and then, before you know it, you actually take the leap and found a company and uh, hope for the best. So yes. uh, we launched two months ago and um, yeah. You launched two, two months ago. It's um, also, it, so to recap, you came, came from the US to um, the UK and then to Germany, yeah. finished school to Germany, finished going to Germany, then to the UK and then to Switzerland. And now you're still in Switzerland. And to the Netherlands and Switzerland. Yeah, I hop around a lot. I like ah, yeah, okay. different countries. Yeah, and obviously languages. also <laughs> Iraq and so on. So it's uh, it's complicated. I would it's complicated, yeah. <laughs> I would put it. Um, but a lot of experience and a lot of influence uh, also from many cultures uh, that can also help you to understand uh, different audiences and target groups. So now you're kind of engineer or also software-minded person in the food business. I, I'm curious what this can bring to the food business because usually um, in the food business, there are no technicians, I would say. Yeah. Well, you know, like I'll tell you the story of how this whole thing started. Okay. So um, basically a year and a half ago, uh, we actually uh, went to Portugal and we actually visited Tim. So that's me and my partner, Murat. And um, we went to Portugal actually, because a couple months before that, after I left my last uh, VC role, I started taking um, kind of a financial independence a different little bit more seriously. I started learning more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is because I'm the type of person who has always had a very clear idea of what she wants and where to go, but I've not necessarily always done the things in the way that I would have even recommended to other people. Mm-hmm. So I think like reflecting back on my time in the corporate world, you know, at the time where I was had a you know a permanent contract, had a very, very strong stability that a corporate world offers you. And even the time when I was an expat and I was earning a lot of money, I didn't really even know what to do with this money in a responsible way. You know, I was 25, I wanted to have fun and I did have fun and I spent the money in the way that I wanted to. But, you know, I think maturing a little, you know, going on 30, I started thinking about, okay, you know, like if I have 10,000 euros, what would I actually do with that now? And, you know, instead mm-hmm. of buying the next Gucci bag. 
and mm. you know how to actually act on uh, and dare to act on you know investing and on taking that next step to mm-hmm. use money in a responsible way to fulfill the goals that you actually have. So we actually went to Portugal to look at a couple of properties because um, Tim obviously is, is very uh, interested in uh, the property in mm-hmm. business and um, has made several steps in that already. So we spent a week there and looked at a bunch of you know low price properties, things that are you know under a hundred thousand, with the very much the intention of uh, getting something to let out, you know, short term rentals, long term rentals, and. We, I really started digging into what are the tax implications, what are the profit margins, what's your return on investment, and mm. really this type of... It, you have to train yourself in this type of thinking, right? It doesn't come yeah. naturally. I've, I, it was very, very... I became very aware of that. I had zero financial education, really zero. I was, I'm, I'm highly yeah. educated, in, you know, and objectively speaking, zero yeah. financial education. It's not uh, teached, yeah. And um, I think you also, from my point of view, you also have to... Um, look at many properties and then you try the first one and then you maybe you fail because then you recognize oh it's too expensive then you maybe you try a short-term rental then you recognize oh it doesn't fit to my lifestyle and then you have to shooting many times and then finally you 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 just hit hit something and then you um the property but i think for me the the biggest thing was really just getting out there and trying something for things. And we actually, mm-hmm. we found a really cute little property. I had this whole like, little vision of this, this thing. And we actually made an offer and the offer was accepted. And then the deal fell through for other reasons. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, 10 months later, COVID hit and, you know, short-term <laughs> rental businesses <laughs> collapsed. So yeah. things happen for a reason, strange ways. But mm-hmm. while we were in Portugal, um, I discovered a couple of, of interesting, like, local products and one of them was a very intense chili oil and Mm -hmm. i I adore spicy food so i actually i just Mm -hmm. asked for chili oil at a restaurant because we had some like bread and oils and um i loved it i just absolutely was it was like mind-blowing experience to me that you could Mm -hmm. have a chili oil that was this intense and i took a couple bottles back with me for Mm -hmm. myself and my housemates i live in a house of 10 that's a little bit of a special setup here in switzerland and basically we were all in paradise for about six weeks until the bottles were empty And then (laughs) I tried to find more of this really, you know, Mm. this intense chili oil and I couldn't get my hands on it. It was like they they had the product in Portugal and, you know, I found somebody who was importing it to the UK and was selling it for like 40 times the price. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, okay, you know what? Like, I really like to cook. I like to experiment. I'm going to try and fuse my own oils. So then I started experimenting with fusing chili oils and I I fused Mm -hmm. in other types of flavors like garlic and lemon and ginger and bay leaf and paprika and like i went through probably 40 different variations and like i had a very lovely test group living with so many people so uh, we actually came up with like this this little dropper bottles so you could really kind of dose it on your food you really really only need like two drops to make like your your dish not only spicy but really like fragrantly spicy that's that's a nice packaging for 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 chili because sometimes you put too much on your food and Yeah. yeah, you know what my problem was? My problem was that I love spicy food, but cooking with spice, like making food spicy when I cook myself is, is fine. Mm-hmm. But when I cook for other people, like you never know what the spiciness levels of everybody's preferences are, right? Mm-hmm. And personally, I've never found a love for sauces like Tabasco and stuff. I don't really like these acid-based sauces. And then mm-hmm. you get into the world of just buying chilies and you never know what you get. Like sometimes it's super overwhelmingly spicy and sometimes mm-hmm. it's like paprika and you, you're super underwhelmed. So this was like really mind blowing to me because like I could 
finally make anything I wanted spicy. And you know, this, this fits with every type of cuisine. I can put it on my pasta, I can put it on my taco, you know, like it's not this overwhelming, mm-hmm. but like sauce that takes over the flavor. It really kind of like contributes to the flavor and just gives us this extra kick. So we were all like super crazy about this. And then mm-hmm. Murad, my partner started calling it chili, chili, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. That's the name we went for. <laughs> and then, then it was like Christmas time. And we were like, you know what? It's very interesting that this product doesn't exist anywhere. You know, like I back then I was traveling a lot. Like I mm-hmm. checked the supermarkets, like across all these, like at least five European countries that I was in. And uh, it just didn't exist. And I'm like, okay. I can't imagine that this not, not exists. I, I mean, I've seen some. Yeah, chili oil. Chili oil is nothing new, right? You chili oil and there's some. For pizza and stuff, but these highly intensive, like flavor fused chili oils mm-hmm. are uh, like, as I said, Portugal has got them. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, my flavor profile is completely different than the, the oils that I tried. But they're the only ones who have, have figured this out. It's actually a very old recipe because I found I found basically like 28 mentions or so of this oil online. And That's you an don't recipe. want to you don't want to share the recipe with us because it's like Coca-Cola and it's a <laughs> super secret. <laughs> you know what when it comes to food you have mm. to have a certain amount of transparency because you have to put your ingredients on the bottle, right? So mm. when it comes to obviously you don't have to declare your exact method and, and recipe and so forth, but you have to accept the fact that somebody is going to be able to copy you. Like that's just the way it is. So the yeah. value is not only in your product, it's in your product innovation and it's in your brand. And mm. beyond that, you have to accept that it's it's out there. And uh, it's like, even if you try and patent yours, you can tweak one little thing on something else and, and somebody else can do it. So trying to be too protective of your mm. products in the food business, I don't think is, um, is worthwhile of time. But, it's uh, yeah. Um, it's also in other industries. For example, in Zoom, we, we currently use Zoom to record yeah. uh, today, and they also don't have a mode or they cannot protect because they have really um, good competitors with a lot of money, like Microsoft and Google. And the only way they can um, get traction is to ship new features faster, to be more customer oriented, uh, and having a nice brand, a nice story behind it. Exactly. And that's exactly what they're doing. And um, That's why we also have the Zoom experience. And that's also in other uh, industries, you have kind of the same. And um, yeah, what I'm curious about is um, why you founded the company because you, also you, first of all, you have you still have the property? Yes, no answer? So no, that deal fell through. We never got that. Okay, so you know, you don't have the property, but no. you moved on to to something you really like, um, like this, this food, food company and lifestyle business, I would say. And uh, when actually you had the idea you can make a business out of it? Well, what we did is when, when we came up, like we were using Chili Chili Boom Boom in our house. And, you know, mm. it became this thing that I took with me everywhere. <laughs> and uh, I, mm. I kind of I started telling people about it. Like, I think that year, uh, so this is 2019, you know, I said I was going through a lot of kind of personal development in, in a per- mm. kind of, you know, greater sense than, uh, than before. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was listening to a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk as well. I really dug deep into his content and I mean, he has huge amounts of content and like the spirits that he does business with. What was the name? Gary Vaynerchuk? Ah, Gary V. Okay. Say Gary V. Then I know who is it. (laughs) (laughs) Gary Vaynerchuk is his full name. Yeah, Gary V. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, his, his spirit is, is, you know, he's a very purpose-driven form of, of doing business. And he's, mm-hmm. he's probably the best person 
currently living who understands the power of digital media yeah. and yeah. Uh, the power of using digital media for business mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. right way. And he's very um, proponent, like, you know, he proposes to really share everything. So I really try to kind of jump over my shadow and mm -hmm. um, start sharing. And not only, you know, I start sharing with my friends and I started saying like I discovered this and then we kind of decided to like do a little it was Christmas time do a little Christmas campaign so mm -hmm. we ended up sending out like 150 bottles of this and we actually had these cute little bottles that are even smaller than this and mm -hmm. sent it to friends and family and kind of everybody who kind of came along our way yeah um and you know there was it was like it was a time of sharing it's Christmas anyway Personally, I wish somebody had sent me a bottle of this stuff five years ago already. Mm -hmm. So I really felt like anybody who adores spicy food would just like to, to experience mm -hmm. this. And obviously, it also had like a little bit of an, a purpose for us to understand, do other people like this? You know, it, it was a mm -hmm. kind of a little market study in, an, in a fun Kind way. of validation of your, of your prototype. Basically. Yeah, you know, because and then we learned a lot of things. We learned that um, everybody's taste is very, very different. You know, and everybody mm -hmm. perceives flavors in very different ways. Like some people are extremely sensitive to ginger, for example, and mm -hmm. taste the ginger out of this out in a very, very, very strong way that it was overwhelming mm -hmm. to them. You know, so it helped us to fine tune the recipe and so forth and to really get an understanding of is this something that that people would enjoy? So then, like after that campaign the beginning of, of this year, 2020, we were like, you know what, let's figure it out. How the heck do you actually produce a food product on a you know professional scale and mm. um, launch this type of a product, right? This food is, is very regulated, right? You need to, to know like which markets you're in, you need to have it safe, right? Like the last mm. thing you want to do is cause anybody any harm yeah. to your product. And um, so then um, I just kind of, you know, Google is your best friend, started mm -hmm. searching for like, how the heck can we pull this off? And found out that the world of food is very much governed by, you know, the companies that produce their own products and the companies that work with other companies to produce their products. Mm -hmm. And with that, you have companies that really manufacture your products, but you also have companies that take your manufactured product and just bottle them and label them and ship them and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so these, this is the world of co-manufacturing and co-packing and so forth. And mm -hmm. so I, I started just calling everybody, like everybody could find. And what would really help was that I do speak German and that Germany is such a huge manufacturing hub and, mm. and we ended up finding the most valuable contacts in germany and you know maybe if i searched in french or in spanish i would have found similar things there but you know mm. being in the this part of europe germany sitting between the netherlands and um because more is based in the netherlands and mm. switzerland it was very convenient and you know through various searches i've, I've got in touch with this very small um organic oil mill in germany Mm. And they were willing to kind of try it out with me, you know, to be like, to take my recipe and um, to see whether we can scale it. Um, mm -hmm. Like one of the biggest constraints was actually the size of this bottle. Like we wanted to, like the perception of this dropper bottle was mm. very positive. People really like this, but this is as a, a one centimeter opening. So it's like not all machinery can handle filling these types of bottles, for example. And then... Yeah. Closing the bottles is also a process that the machine needs to be built for. And mm -hmm. so this company actually had been experimenting with CBD mm -hmm. oil. So they had the infrastructure mm -hmm. and they were an oil mill. So they produced their own oils. And so, you know, this is a very small German company and we kind of just went for it. And um, then you kind of get into dealing with these other small businesses, right? And they mm -hmm. actually, you know, they made a couple of executive decisions uh, regarding my recipe and method that made a huge influence, you know, made a big difference to the products and taste. And mm. 
I visited them at the end of February, like right before Corona was really hitting, like when we were hearing like the timing things going on. It was a carnival time, if you remember. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, we kind of concluded that the recipe that I have at home and was making at home is not really scalable for a larger production. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to experiment with uh, natural extracts. And then that's a whole different world again, right? You have extracts, like extracts are, are made from the origin product with different mm. types of solvents. You can use an alcohol, you can use uh, an ethanol, you can use mm. all sorts of things, or you can use a method called CO2 extraction, which then preserves the essential oils from the, the original product to the largest extent. It doesn't mm-hmm. use a solvent, which is an issue for, for people who eat halal, for example. You know, they don't want mm. to have anything that where alcohol was involved. And then this is this is really the this is where you enter like the word the sciency part of, of food. Yes, because, I like, can imagine your experience of flavor is like a mix of the actual experience on your tongue, the way that the molecules kind of evaporate in your mouth, the smells that you have on it. So you mm-hmm. have concentrates, you have extracts, you have essential oils, and like the different methods of making them all make a huge mm. difference. And so just taking kind of the, you know, the compounds like the lemon and the garlic and the chili and just putting it all together did not create the same experience whatsoever. And we went through like several mm. dozen variations and I didn't like the outcome of any of them actually. And mm. then Corona really hit. And then like in mid March, they told us that we had to put everything on ice because they, they couldn't cope with the, the situation right now. And like doing this mm. kind of like an extra product on the side, they had to focus on their core business. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime, um, you know, I had been experimenting with other products already and I started fusing the same flavors from this oil into, uh, Fleur de cells. Cause mm-hmm. I love Fleur de Sel de Camargue and I, and I sprinkled it on, on everything mm-hmm. I ate. And, um, then I really, really enjoyed what I've been creating with these Fleur de cells. Like, you know, mm-hmm. because the Fleur de Sel kind of takes out the depth of the flavor of your natural food already and kind of can adds this like little extra crunchiness and um, then I started making different flavors and um, then when when lockdown really hit I sent my partner in Amsterdam because we were separated for seven weeks over over the lockdown I sent him a care package mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had been playing at like three flavors of, of these flirt cells then that I was using on my food and mm-hmm. he can't tolerate spicy food at all so I've, I've made the same flavors and um, one new flavor for him that was non-spicy. So that's how we kind of came up with like these first non-spicy like, mm-hmm. salts. And then I got put in touch with this really small organic spice mill in Germany. Mm-hmm. And they then, you know, had a couple of other types of flaky salts. And I did some like further searching. And then I discovered this flaky salt from Australia. Mm-hmm. And this flaky salt kind of just like blew my mind because these crystals were so incredibly thin mm-hmm. and like so crispy that it wasn't this kind of like salty, overwhelming experience. It was really this mm-hmm. like extra crunch and mm-hmm. punch from the flavors. And then, you know, my spiciness or even the non spiciness. And um, I was like, wow. And then, we were cooking like crazy over lockdown, like obviously, like it was no other way to it's survive, like everybody, yeah. right? And like I was locked up with nine other people, right? Mm. Like we were in this house in Switzerland and, uh, you know, we, we cooked a lot, mm. like a lot, a lot. And I was, it was really fun because I had a test group with me the whole time um, mm. to really, like go through, because we went through dozens of different recipes for each one of our... And um, you could, you could see the reaction of them and uh, ask yeah. questions and so on. And it's really, really good to have like different perspectives as well because everyone's mm. flavor profile is so so different. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, then when lockdown ended, we were kind of like, 
okay, you know, like, let's actually try this. And so we, we incorporated a company. It was a big, actually mm-hmm. a big consideration whether we should incorporate here in Switzerland or incorporate in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that's, it's, it has all sorts of, especially tax um, consequences, benefits, and, mm-hmm. uh, just ben- and, you know. More consequences than benefits, basically. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then that was the start. And that's, that's how Smickle was born. And um, that's the name. And we really went to deep into like really how do you actually put this like idea of these flaky salsa we have and mm. to the world. And now you, people can order it and can go to the website and check it out and so on. And um, how, do, how do you market it? And um, do you have any mentors or is it just kind of obsession that you go to the internet and researching new providers and new um, um, house producers and so on? It's just reaching out and nothing else. So no mentor, for example. Um, we don't have a mentor. Um, mm. Well, we do have like, I obviously, I'm a big fan of doing my own research, right? I've always, mm. I've always like... I've always wanted to know everything I know and everything I don't know before I, I dive into So something. you kind of adopted uh, some hacker mindset. Yeah, but I'm also not scared to reach out to other people and ask for help. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you'll never get a response. And sometimes mm-hmm. you'll get a no. And sometimes yeah. people will be willing to help you. And sometimes it takes three months for somebody to get back to you. And then they, they'll, they'll still be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, like, just having an idea for a product is just the beginning. Right. Yeah. Like we, we had a great connection to um, established company who knew what they were doing in terms of helping us to produce the, the product. Mm-hmm. But I like for what for me is, is very, very important is the experience that mm-hmm. the product is used. in. so for us, it was not only about having a quality product. It was very much about how are we going to put this together to make the entire experience the most joyful and the most kind of intentional in the ways that we enjoy the product and, and share that with the world. Mm-hmm. And so the first step for us, like we kind of came up with this idea of curating these collections of different flavors first, right? So we would have a collection of spicy flavors and a collection of non-spicy flavors. And we realized that, you know, we had these like small little test bottles that um, I kept sending out samples to everybody <laughs> as well. And I really loved the, um, these little bottles and the sprinkling experience on directly onto food. You know, mm-hmm. that you didn't need a spoon, that you didn't put in your hands. Because like the, most of the spicy, spice kind of products you have, you'll have like these bigger tubs and you need to dig in with your hands and it's really gross and you have it on your hands mm-hmm. and the product itself becomes contaminated. It's really terrible for sharing, like let alone Corona considerations. How, how, can, you, how can you use the bottle when, when it's, it's salt? I understood that it's yeah, salt. Here. So, is it liquid? Is it still liquid? So this... This is how the product looks now. This is ah okay, yeah, I've seen that on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these were our test bottles. Yeah. So they're like your kind of like uh, pharmacy bottles. I got these all from like suppliers for like pharmacy goods and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then um, these were like this was the great experience of understanding like okay, sprinkling it directly on, understanding how much of the product comes out, how much do you need. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed this versus like a bigger tub where you kind of have to involve a separate medium to. to and I think it. that's one of your unique selling points is the packaging that it's small that you can have it in your bag when you go to the restaurant you can just or from uh, in the canteen uh, in the company that you can just add a little bit of flavor and you don't have to have some big uh yeah some big box of yeah. flavors and you know, I, think, it, i think our packaging and, and kind of packaging and, and product um, experience strategy is 
it's a pretty mm. nice example of a product innovation. You know, like we're not mm. doing anything new in the sense of like spices exist, salt exists. Like mm. people who like to cook have liked to cook. But what we are doing is we're offering a different experience of the whole thing. So like this is, these are our sets. We've made sure that the packaging is designed in a way that tries to spark joy, right? Like we, we've tried to bridge like a mix of like playful, colorful and yeah. elegant elements together that it conveys this feeling of, of luxury, of having something special, but also of still being connected to the product and not feeling afraid to never ever use it, right? Yeah. And like, so we've curated it into a set of four and we really are trying to introduce this feeling of like playing with your food and playing with your flavors and like mm -hmm. increasing the experience of your meals and the, the joy of your meals. And, you know, it's, how do you take something that's boring uh, and make it better? Or how do you like cook something with the intention of sprinkling this on afterwards? And I think this is this is really something special that we've done that other companies don't really offer in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that when it comes to spices, it's still it's still a very conventional world out there. And I Country, think that's, yes. and that's that's what I see a lot in this food. This entire journey of food and like these huge amount of new companies coming up. You know, small businesses to these startups mm -hmm. that are really looking for funding and trying to scale very quickly. There's something happening right now in food and it's really yes. exciting. You know, like you have these different yeah. branches, like, you know, like vegan food is incredible what's happening right now, but mm -hmm. also like generally speaking, there are better products coming out. And the reason why, if you ask me, is because it's possible for the first time because someone like me with zero experience mm -hmm. and zero industry experience, zero educational experience was able to do the research and connect with the right people to bring this out, to understand how do you launch a product? How do you do the branding and the design? How do you order packaging at scale? How do you write your hygiene plan and so on and so forth? Because the, the, the things you need to build this are the kind of democratized so that you can, that you have kind of companies that help you with the production, that you can do the marketing yourself. And, or how, how for example, if you have to have to do it 20 years ago, what would have been more difficult? So I think 20 years ago, like what I continuously noticed, despite being, there being so much more information out there than ever before, mm -hmm. is that there, there's a lot of key information that's hidden behind industry doors. So even when dealing with food authorities, you know, like the Swiss food authorities had a very different approach than the Dutch food authorities towards helping us. The Dutch food authorities mm -hmm. did not, not want to help us at all. They literally told us, and I mm -hmm. quote, Okay. Go find yourself a food consultant that you can do on the internet using a browser. Like this email, like I'll never forget it. Like, you know, <laughs> like they don't even want to answer a simple question. And yeah. it's because food is very, very specialized to the product that you're making. So, you, mm. you know, getting, I can generally tell you how to launch a food product, but how mm. to launch your specific food product will require the deeper digging of that. Mm. So there's, you, you can contact food consultants who can help you to launch it. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can and they will help you connect with the right co-packers or co-manufacturers to make it into reality. You'll require mm -hmm. a lot of capital, though, to do that, because yeah. the, the volumes that you need to have these things make sense mm -hmm. are high. You know, like so that was a huge consideration for us, too. Like we originally wanted to produce mm -hmm. 1000 sets yeah. and kind of launch it out to the world. And then it turned out 1000 sets was not going to make sense on a unit cost with mm -hmm. the packaging and the labels and so forth. So it's, um, it's a very individual journey for all. I do think that like, you know, we needed probably six to eight months to, to figure out how to really do this. Mm -hmm. And I think that that time can be shortened if you bring in some more expert help, or if you have some, some additional support, but, um, 
I don't think democratize is the right word to to use. I think um, I think it's still hard. You would say like these are the clear signs of that disruption mm. is happening when you have yeah. when you're guarding knowledge and insight, and mm. uh, that's why we see so many cool things happening in food right now. Um, it's it's true. So I've um, what I've seen, for example, is that there is um, made of insects these um, uh, bars that you can eat. So you have your protein, and um, also you have these all these new food markets that have really delicious food. And in earlier times, you had just a Christmas market, and they had some sausages and some bread, and that's it. And um, what I've seen in the supermarket in the spice um, department, <laughs> I would say, is that you can get the usual uh, pepper and garlic and so on but you also have kind of mixed you ha you have mixed spices and i was just thinking about okay they have french fries uh, salt so they have some tomato and some herbs in it and salt but they have a much higher margin that you would just buy the three components separately so i was just thinking okay then i buy the three components and i don't have i don't have to pay the euro more but obviously um For for French fries, um, salt it might work, but not for uh, for other things. You know, I think I think that's nothing new. I think that everybody thinks that uh, you can do something yourself and don't need to mm. spend an extra on a margin uh, mm. of a product that's already ready. And it comes down to why do you buy products in the first place, right? Like, mm. why do you buy a bag that costs 10 times as much as the value of the actual bag is, right? You buy it for the brand and you buy it for the experience of that and you buy it for also for the convenience of, of what it is. And so distinction food, from other people. When it comes to food, like there are a lot of products you can make yourself, right? Mm. Like making ricotta, for example, it takes 20 minutes. Right, but nobody's making ricotta as as much as they buy ricotta because of mm. the convenience of the the product being ready, mm. and it's also the consistency of the product being what it is, knowing what you have. So I think when it comes to, to food, what's happening right now is that the these new products, the, the insect bars that you're describing, or these food markets, they're bringing some fun into it and something new and exciting into this yeah. this market where we've been accustomed to having the same brands producing the same products. And, you know, like none of us eat like our grandparents ate anymore. Like I'm sure you, you grew up, you know, I had, I had a German grandmother and, and she mm -hmm. cooked the same 12 meals on repeat every day. Right. <laughs> and like, yeah. I adore her food. Of course I do. But nowadays I also want to have sushi and I want to have a tie, like a pad thai. And, you know, I want to have. Grandmother is not making you some sushi. <laughs> no. My is neither. She ever tried sushi to be honest like she's no longer with us now but uh, yeah. i don't think she wouldn't have gotten close to that so grandparents <laughs> only they're just trying to make new new meals and experiment if they need it for health reasons for example my grandmother they did more fish and more yeah. used more oil instead of um animal fat because the doctor said she should try it and then she tried right. it but um in the end, they're not not ready to experiment. And um, I al I'm also tempted in the supermarket, you have a lot of new foods and they have really nice brands and a nice typography. And I'm always tempted to collect one of these items that are kind of expensive. And sometimes I do because I'm just a human. And um, I mean, my co-host Alba would not, but um, <laughs> I'm kind of doing it um, sometimes. And it's really nice. And it makes also the life more, um, yeah, you have, more experiences, more, more um, better for to live, I would say. it's uh, Yeah, 
more colors you know, to like, life. Not everybody cares about it. Some people really don't think twice about food and they really see it as, you know, a, a need for survival. Mm-hmm. And other people curate their vacations and their entire, like, free time around mm-hmm. the food experiences that they want to have. And you have the right? hashtag food porn also on Instagram. Yeah. So there are people who care. And yeah, it makes there's also coffee porn, the hashtag, if you want to have yeah. a new coffee brand. Um, I think it's pretty feasible to, for example, create your own coffee brand and your own le- lemonade. I also have a friend and uh, many um, say hi to Sebastian, who is trying to, or he, he built a brand for animal food. So he bought a real big, he uh, filled the house, the whole basement with, with food. And then he repackaged and branded uh, a new Uh, food for cats and it's a awesome brand it looks like a, a 80s 80s uh, superhero um for cats and um, yeah pretty pretty good but uh, now the hard facts how many capital uh, have you been burned to to build this up right now you know i think uh, besides our living expenses we've poured in about twenty-five thousand euros to make this happen Mm-hmm. And uh, you also you also need some time to do it, um, isn't it? Yeah. Because you, I understood you have been expert, then you had some personal development gap year, I would say. But don't you need some? Don't you have some fear? Uh, I mean, don't you have to get a job, or is it already paying off uh, so much? You have so many customers that you can live from it, or is, it, is there any? How how can you live? Because I'm I'm in a normal day job, and um, yeah because I need some food for my family and so on. Yeah. So we have an angel investor who's mm-hmm. covering kind of our, our living expenses um, so that we can survive and push us through. And we have about 18 months runway on that. So um, we have a very, the way that we've designed this product is um, I have, we're very like, we have no intentions of becoming um, a venture capital funded startup. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I've worked in this, uh, this industry. I, I have many friends who've pursued that avenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a different type of business strategy to pursue than wanting to curate a small profitable business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, our intentions are very much to, we're, we're over quality over quantity and, you know, our products are not, um, not cheap either. We're not in, interested in the, the mass market. Like I, I don't want to see my, my products at Lidl for example, mm-hmm. because that's, it's not the, the type of customer who truly enjoys and, ex- and appreciates this type of a product. This is, I don't want to call it a foodie product, but it is yeah. you know, a type of product where you need an um, appreciation for the experience that it creates. Mm-hmm. If you're just interested in salt, then you can spend 50 cents on salt, right? Yeah. What we're trying to do is we're trying to recuperate the investment that we've, uh, we've put in. Mm-hmm. And our goal is, uh, you know, over the Christmas season, um, you know, we've, we purposely designed our little sets as, um, you know, potential gift sets as well, because they, they look very, very cute and pretty and you're supposed to put a smile on someone's face. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're hoping that we can have a really great uh, festive season in, in the best creative way we can, because COVID is, is very challenging to actually bring it to customers. But um, and then after that, we'd like to, you know, take the, the recuperated investment and put it into our next products. And um, this is the way that, you know, we'd gradually like to grow. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll make it or we won't make it. But it's, it's, been, it's been a journey of joy. And, you know, if the last kind of 10 years of my career have taught me anything is that 
you'll have success in things or not success in things. There are external factors that come in between that will completely mm. ruin your perfect game plan. Yeah. And uh, we've all experienced that this year. Like anybody's five-year plan in 2020 was destroyed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you have to so adapt very fast. There will always be a solution to, to, to follow the, the next path and then and take the learnings from along the way. So, mm. uh, And have yeah. you thought about uh, distributors? I think for uh, what's the English word for fine cost? You know, fine cost? Mm -hmm, like a delicatessen gourmet. Delicatessen, no, really. um, And have you reached out to them that they can resell your, your products? Because I have some in my mind. And I think it could help you to kind of scale. But do you really want to scale? Because I think there's potential um, to scale in this delicatessen market. I mean, it's, it's an interesting conversation, this whole um, direct-to-consumer business that we have, right? Like, mm -hmm. if, if you look at it objectively, you know, we're set up for perfection for Corona days, right? Because mm -hmm. we, we, we sell directly to our customers. Uh, we are heavily dependent on our logistics providers, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a whole different discussion of its own. Yeah. Um, but we've set up in a way that we are um, able to distribute within Switzerland, from Switzerland, and within the EU and worldwide from the Netherlands. There are, there are a lot of logistical challenges in this and, you know, only distributing from and selling directly means that, you know, all the efforts of the marketing and, and reaching customers has to come from us. So partnering with other resellers helps with increasing that reach, right? You do have to consider that they, of course, will want to take a slice of your success, which is fine as long as they're also pushing your success and, and working on the same values as you. So we've had several conversations with, uh, with resellers. Um, over the last um, two months since we've launched, right? We're still pretty young. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, been, it's been an interesting um, journey. Like there are a lot of resellers that are that were working very old school, I'd call it, right? And mm -hmm. um, the whole kind of business of distributors is also a very old, you know, this, this middleman business, it's very old. And like there are supermarkets that will only want to speak with a distributor, for example, instead of mm -hmm. speaking directly. And mm -hmm. To be honest, it's not my uh, primary focus. Um, I'm very happy to work with other like-minded businesses. And mm -hmm. I'm particularly interested in, in these smaller purpose-driven um, online supermarkets um, that are out there. And it's not my primary goal to, to be put on Reba, where you're talking about, for example, um, tomorrow. Yeah. Um, because like for various reasons, you know, and I, I think that that's a good step to also consider once you once you've reached a certain size and once we have a certain base demand that is um is measurable yeah. because you also you go into a uh there's a big responsibility as well to sell to these supermarkets and many of them wouldn't even take our products because mm -hmm. they are not made by machines right and mm -hmm. There are all sorts of certifications and additional kind of levels that you do require to, to mm -hmm. sell to many of these supermarkets and it's um It's a strategy. Like, as I said, I, I think that we are not looking for, you know, becoming, you know, going from zero to a hundred overnight. You know, we so really I, want to build an organic, sustainable business here. And, and that's really the key word for me, sustainable. So not like um, Beyond Meat, which um, I think they, they partnered right in the beginning with, um, I think, McDonald's or also have, uh, Walmart as a customer and, And they really try to scale really fast. And they just in summer, they um, started with their own website with direct, direct to customer and to get independent from, from these distributors. And so you do it just the other way around that you start first with your online. Yeah, I mean, 
there's a completely different business model, right? Like, first of all, they mm-hmm. have a, a, a science foundation of, of their product innovation, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, and there, there are many types of, of Beyond Meats out there now, mm-hmm. but, you know, they have a very, you know, there, there was a lot of R&D required to get to the point that they even had a product that could be sold. Mm-hmm. And then I think it, they did a very, very smart thing when, you know, finding this, these distribution points to bring this product out this very, very new product, right? Like a mm. very controversially new product out mm. to the masses. But I mean, they have taken in hundreds of millions of dollars in, in venture capital funding to be able to pull this off, right? And then they IPO'd mm. quite early. And, you know, that's, that's been a, a fun uh, fun trading game to play as well, if you've been on board of that one. <laughs> but they, they have a completely different vision of that and a, a very different type of product as well to do. And it's... Mm. Um, I don't think that that type of product could have been uh, launched out to the world and done profitably very, you know, within a foreseeable time, um, mm. the type of strategy that we're pursuing, because there was a huge amount of, of R&D that had to go behind that. And uh, you need a lot of more, lot more capital, a lot yeah. more capital, a lot more people and so on. So it's maybe better to start small and then everybody's from there. journey is different, you know, and it's... Yeah. Um, I think that we absolutely could go out there and try and find investors and, and you know, board on, bring on a team of 20 people. And surely, you know, that would help in many ways. But, um, you know, you need to know who you get into bed with, with investors. And you also need to be willing to, you will, like, no matter how great your investors are, you're going to be giving up some of your freedom, right? Yes. You're going to be, you, you will not direct 100% of your way anymore. And investors will always seek to you know make a return on the money that they put in so you're yeah. you're losing the the freedom of directing your future with that too of mm. saying like i'm going to stay a small sustainable business to mm. i need to you know eventually sell the company mm. to make my investors happy uh, you mentioned that you have also worked with two venture capital companies in switzerland or worked for them have had that helped um, to create the mindset for or get ready for entrepreneurship and for that and also the context that they help you in um, yeah building up the company? I think absolutely. You know, I think spending so much time looking at um, startups and other businesses and getting to know entrepreneurs and so forth, and it, it helps tremendously to, to understand how to build a business, how to build a successful business, what types yeah. of, of business like strategies are are good for you personally, you know, like, mm. how do you want to direct your day? Like how quickly do you want to grow? Uh, how dependent do you want to become? What, what is, what are the industries that they do very well? What are the industries that are continuously struggling? The first business that I want to found, for example, was a uh, business in, in the sharing economy. This is, you know, after I left my corporate career mm. and, you know, I was 26 at the time and I came up with this fantastic idea, which remains fantastic, which is that there are a ton of small businesses with it, a cafe or a gallery or a small store that are not using their space 100% of the time, right? Mm-hmm. And during those eight hours that the space is not used for anything at all, mm-hmm. other people could find a good use for that, right? And mm-hmm. it, it remains true to this day that that is a fantastic, efficient idea. But the truth of the matter is, first of all, there are a lot of other consequences along the way. Like a business mm. owner who closes their cafe at 2 p.m. Like, mm. well, they also close at 2 p.m. And it's going to be closed then for five hours, six hours of afternoon time unused. 
Mm. But for the owner, for, for her to be worth it, for her to rent that space out, you know, like she has to consider that the space is not going to be damaged in any way mm. that, you know, like nobody's going to get hurt within her space that she could be liable for. Mm. How do you even do the simple exchange of like opening and closing the spaces and the trust of the keys and so forth. So these are, there's are so many additional elements. And of course you can then be like, this is something for the blockchain. This is something in insure tech, and you can bring this all in, and it's, it remains a great idea. But you're, you know, like massively growing the scope of your small, little, cute idea, right? Yes. And then, you know, I was like, I'm just gonna, you know, put together a platform, and I'm gonna connect the, you know, supply and demand side, and I'm gonna be in the middle. Okay, that, that's, that's also great. That's also a hugely efficient idea. You know, this little mm. principle behind the Airbnb and all these sharing economy companies. Yeah. But then, actually, being, you know, reasonable and considering. Kind of you're building a, a digital platform. Once it's built, it's already outdated. So you need something, you know, you have to continuously update this. You need a huge mm-hmm. amount of customer support. And to be honest with yourself about the volumes that you need to actually, you know, transact over this platform for it to be worth your while is also, you know, it's it's it's, it's, a, high. it's <laughs> a point that, you know, your your little like a cute idea is, is, is difficult to, to get to that point as well. So mm-hmm. You know, this was, this is, you know, there are a lot of great ideas out there that mm. are really, you know, have a lot of benefits and it's a win, win, win for, for everybody involved, but that doesn't necessarily make it into a smart business idea. Mm. Uh, you know, I think I, that's something that, uh, that we saw over and over and over again with, um, with startups looking for capital and, uh, from these VCs that there are, there are amazing ideas out there, but not all ideas, despite if they're amazing, you know, sometimes a Facebook group can solve that problem. Uh, this is actually <laughs> something that somebody mm. told me when I first started out with the company that I called Spot a Spot. Mm. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. Like, I'm going to be big. I'm going to learn front end programming in three months and I'm going to do it all myself. And, you know, like, I think, this- you know, you I think that's also and learn it for yourself. That's also the difference if you if you want to start a company and you kind of 20 or 24, or you kind of experience and have seen a lot of failure and and you know how long it takes to become a developer and if yeah. you like 35 and so on and um so mm, what do you think is the is the best advice you can give our audience um now who as i think they might have also learned something from your from your story and what not to do and what to do but what do you think uh, advice could you give them uh, if they want to found a kind of lifestyle company i think the best advice is to not stay quiet you know to, to recognize yeah. that no matter your the kind of size of the audience that you might have, mm-hmm. um, especially now our audiences are primarily going to be online, right? They're going to be on our, our social media, whether that's LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram or even your, your WhatsApp channels and so forth. Like everybody has met hundreds and hundreds of people over their their lifetime so far. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the best the best advice is really go tell as many people as you can about what you'd like to do, what you are doing and hear what they have to say. And you don't have to necessarily take everything, um, like change everything along the way with what every single person has told you. Mm. But I think, you know, actually listening and thinking about and reflecting that is, is really, um, very useful. And I think was something that really, really helped me throughout this entire journey was that not only did I share everything, I also tried to physically share this, right? So when you have a lifestyle business, um, as you mm-hmm. call it, like we're talking about physical products here, right? So I can't mm-hmm. send someone a link and be like, how do you like my flicky salts, right? <laughs> like, you can admire the, our, the, our designs and our branding maybe, but like it's, it's, a, it's a physical product. And like yeah. most things in lifestyle will 
enter the physical realm, right? So yeah, like we did, we, we spend hundreds and hundreds of euros in sending out packages with our little you know, chili oil bottles or our little flaky salt bottles. And not, not all of those, you know, translated into sales afterwards necessarily, mm. but all of them translated into another data point for me to consider. Like if somebody mm. did get it sent and they didn't tell me overwhelmingly that they loved it, what mm. does that mean? You know, like, and really be honest about like who your target customer is and mm. how much of them are out there. Like I'm finding the entire uh, journey of scaling this business online much more difficult than I expected, for example. Mm-hmm. The conversion of getting somebody to be intrigued to actually buying is a very long process. Like, yeah. and this is this is because you know people are like, I like it, I'll buy it, and then they put it on their to do list of their million things that they're considering. And mm-hmm. like for them, if they purchase it now or in three months, they have purchased it eventually, and they'll have thought about it. And it's like, oh yeah, I still wanted to do that. For a small business, it makes a huge difference if you're purchasing it now or in three months, right? Yes. And um, so. I'm continuously trying to like evolve, like the, the idea of like running ads, for example, I thought that that would work like that. It does not work like that. Right. Like at all. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm I'm continuously looking for like additional opportunities to collaborate with other small businesses. I started working in a cafe now and I I cook, um, there it's like a healthy vegan vegetarian type of uh, cafe. And, you know, I'm collaborating with the, the, the business owner there. She opened it August as well. So, you know, she's quite the woman to, to dare to do this during COVID too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're working together to try and, you know, make the most out of every opportunity we have along the way. Like anybody who wants to support you, like bring them on board. And sometimes things don't come out of it and sometimes mm-hmm. do. But yeah, also, like, do not keep quiet. You, you. I think you're right um, because it's a, um, it's a physical uh, thing. So you have to, you have to send it, and you have to get feedback. And what also is an, um, some advice um, that I have also seen with a couple of friends: if you have some idea or if you want to pursue a different direction, you really need to get out and and talk to people about it and take the phone. And then, um, if you talk to somebody, they and you you can ask, do you have some? two other people I can talk to. And then you go uh, across this social network and you get a lot of feedback and a lot of data points, as you say. And um, actually, I have also think to, uh, thought about uh, in my calendar in the next seven days, there are also three people who want to tell me about their idea. And I was thinking, hey, should I take the time? But yes, sure, I take the time and um, they can. Uh, we can brainstorm about their idea and maybe I can help, maybe not. And I think it, uh, you get, um, as you get faster feedback, you also know if you want to go forward with that idea or you want to try a different one. And it's also um, just nice to to do something that you're passionate about and not uh, yeah, just go for your job. If you have not if you found yeah. the, the job you're passionate about, but I think most people, it's just job. So they might go for a different direction. For example, my wife, she's uh, very interested about, about this uh, sustainable business, about also food. Uh, maybe I also sent her a package of your salt. And um, that's why she's also connecting uh, with a lot of different people in the food segment or zero waste and uh, sustainable. And and she found a lot of people uh, who are also curious about it. And um, right now in the next decade, decade, I would say the food market and also the The environmental aspect um, in our in our economy is fundamentally changing, and also you can earn a lot of money with it. For example, in Cologne, there's a startup called Vital, um, and they have these boxes. And if you go to a restaurant, you can get some reusable box, and you get your food, and then you can uh, the, the box you can return in another 
a coffee shop or restaurant and that's kind of circle circular yeah. circular economy so you were thinking about how can they make money but in, in the beginning just maybe small fees for these boxes but um, now all people are using the app and they can also now you can order food um, using the app so you see that this is also um, doing something for the um, environment can also help um, a lot um, yeah to make money it's about bringing value to people and it's about bringing value to the people that uh, you're trying to bring value to. Like we're not going to bring value with our flaky salts to everybody because not everybody values that, right? Not everybody mm -hmm. values really great food. Like I'm somebody who always wants food to be like extra, right? Like if food is boring, mm -hmm. it is not worth the calories for me to eat it, right? This is just my personal opinion. It doesn't mean <laughs> that the rest of the world lives like that, right? Mm -hmm. And it's... I think, you know, connecting with, with the people that are on a similar journey of you, like I'm, I'm a, a very purpose-driven person and I was a very purpose-driven person in my corporate life as well. And in the types of jobs that I did and the way that I did my jobs and, you know, that, that succeeded for me in the corporate world. And the reason I left the corporate world was, was kind of acute at the time, you know, like it wasn't, I didn't grow tired of it and, and sick of it and, and burned out or anything. It was an external factor, um, like many people this year probably also lost their jobs as an external factor because of Corona. And this will throw them onto a different path mm -hmm. that they maybe always had in mind, but weren't necessarily ready to pursue yet. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, like you're going to fail, you're going to fail again and again. And I failed many, 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 many times. And I've done a lot of different things because of that. And mm -hmm. for me personally, that, that really does suit me. And like, I don't value um, like external stability as high as other people, for example, like mm. I've, I've, I've got friends who, despite being very unhappy in their jobs, could not dare to take six months off to think about what they want to do next because they mm. are, are very, they're very aware of themselves that the stability that a job offers them is more important to them. And they could not emotionally kind of deal with that step of mm. not having that yet. Right. Like, that's something that for me does not mean much. It's, it's never meant much for me to, uh, for somebody to tell me that Shell has a great retirement plan. Like, I don't even believe that Shell will be the company that it is when I joined in the what, year 2068 or whatever they said I was going to retire in. Like, how are we even going to be certain there will be a monetary system in the, in the way that we understand it now in year 2068? Yeah. So everybody's journey is different. Like, I'm... I'm very grateful that I can mm. wake up every day at the time that I want in the place that I want and do the things that I want. It's the, the backside of that is that you get as much as you put in, right? Like if I mm. don't do something that day, then that something is gone. And so I really just try and take advantage of, of every opportunity that life comes about. And I think connecting mm. and surrounding yourself with the right people is, and that, that sounds really stupid, but it really is as simple as go find the, the five Facebook mm. groups that you're, you care about, right? I'm in a couple of really cool Facebook groups, like mm -hmm. a couple of cooking groups, a couple of women's groups, and I've been a member of them for you know, six to 12 months. And there are awesome people in here. So just engage with these awesome women that are posting these stuff, for example, right? Like, like mm -hmm. their content, Come tell them when you think, like share your thoughts. I think that's something that a lot of people don't dare to do, like to share your thoughts and actually connect with people. Like, it's very hard to, to, to share our own thoughts with the, because you're always thinking, what do, do people think about me? Um, if you post your thoughts on LinkedIn, they maybe think that I'm stupid and um, yeah, or I'm wrong, and or you are afraid of the comments. Yeah, yeah no, you can. Like, you so what? You can just delete the comment <laughs> if you want. 
But I think how, how, how can people overcome, especially in Germany, they, we have the system of being an employee and having a stable job and so on. How can people overcome these, this wish for more stability and not, um, not having fear? How is that possible to, to overcome that? I don't think there's a one solution how to overcome that. I think that's a mm -hmm. personal journey that everybody has to go on. And I don't think it's ever over. You know, I don't think I could actually say that I'm, I'm totally like fearless of, of failing. Mm -hmm. Right. But I can say that, you know, I've, I've had, I've been very financially comfortable and I've been broke many times. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> it's gone in cycles. <laughs> and I think that after like the X time of having like lost it all and starting from zero again, and whether that's financially speaking or you're speaking from like the career progress you thought you'd be on or like in your family life and personal life, whatever it is, mm. I think taking a step back and reflecting that, what are the things within my control? What are the things without outside of my control? And really being honest of a lot of the things that you're kind of, you're believing the illusion of the control that you actually don't have. Mm. Right? And I think when it comes to things like retirement plans, it should be pretty brutally honest about whether this is really going to be in place for someone who's like 30 years old, like me and the mm. way that you envision it and think about <laughs> the external factors that are going to play a role. And the, 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 the plenty of stories that demonstrate the illusion of control and promise that that system actually does offer. And mm. for some people, it still won't matter. Right. And that's no. fine. That's fine. And then these are the people that need to accept that their best path is with a different company and is to be an employee. And then just strive towards that goal with that. I think a lot of people feel um, kind of a, a, a strong kind of, not fantasy, but um, kind of like a golden little world of what entrepreneurialism is. And, you know, the about what it, what it means to have your own business and do your own thing and so on. And it's a lot harder. It's a lot, lot, lot harder to do this yourself. Mm -hmm. To even even if you're in a privileged position like myself of having somebody backing my my journey, that mm -hmm. I, I you know only have to to a limited extent worry about where my rent is coming from, mm -hmm. you know for, for the next six months, let's say, <laughs> right? Like that is a privileged position, and I'm grateful for that privilege that I can enjoy, that I can focus on that, right? But there are like you have to admit to yourself that it is going to be hard. It is it's really really hard, and like you're never going to get as much back as you put in. Mm -hmm. And that that is it, it's a, it was a lot easier for me to do 150% of my corporate job mm -hmm. and continuously get the the great feedback and the vacation days and that structure that the corporate world offers because I think that's the thing that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs like have to cope with as well as well like you have this very very structured world in, in the mm -hmm. corporate world you come to work from a certain time to another certain time it's very clear when you're working and when you're not working. And when you do it all yourself, like that all becomes one. Yes. And, like you we've just all work. learned that a little bit this year with, you know, Corona mm -hmm. bringing our work into our homes and like understanding how everything really does become one. And there are plenty of mm -hmm. benefits in that as well. Right. Like you don't have to get up at two hours beforehand to get ready for an hour and, and commute for an hour. Right. You can get mm -hmm. up 15 minutes beforehand, make your coffee and have your first call. That's a benefit. Right. It's a benefit. But the consequence is also that you have to be in control of getting to bed on time so that you're not hung over in that call the next morning, right? I have, like, I have my kids for that. So it just, <laughs> it just wake me. It's a natural clock. Yeah, I, I really like this um, uh, post. I said it's the new normal, I would say, because you can also have a cup. If the weather is nice, you can go out with the kids. 
for an hour, you have much more freedom, but obviously you also have to accomplish your things. So you have to maybe sit in the evening and also work a bit more. Yeah. So, and we have to finish it up and I really like that you shared your thoughts with us. I think also there was a lot of um, um, advice and also inspiration for, for our audience. And um, one of the questions we also ask always in the end is, for example, what is one resource not well known that you would recommend people on their path to financial independence or entrepreneurship? And you also mentioned that you had this gap year or this where you had um, personal development year. Maybe there's some source uh, you, you liked or that helped you a lot that you can share. I think one of the most recent things that helped me tremendously is mm -hmm. digging into um, a couple of people who are very, very vocal about mm -hmm. um, their journey, their thoughts, their purpose. And I think, like, I don't want to sound like a fangirl, but Gary Vaynerchuk is a fantastic resource for understanding the mm. opportunities in the digital space that we're in. Like, and he has um, a wine business. He has a wine business and you have a salt business. So there is some... <laughs> I, he's, I mean, like to summarize his brief story, you know, he's an immigrant, uh, coming from an immigrant background. He built up his father's like small uh, liquor store into a digital first platform for selling mm. wines in the 90s. You know, like, like in the 90s, we have to remember the state <laughs> the internet was in then. He took all these learnings, he wrote a couple of books, and he founded a, a media company and is now really just, he's pushing this message. He's giving all, all his thoughts, every, like the entire, his entire business strategy, he gives out there for free. And he talks to a lot of people who um, are either struggling on their path uh, and have come across him asking for advice or people who are pursued their own paths. And it's, I'm very, I, I love it because it's, it's a purpose-driven um, business strategy. It's about mm -hmm. what are you doing? Are you happy? And if you're not, how are we going to get you there? And let's be honest with yourself about what really makes you personally happy. And mm -hmm. once you've been honest with yourself about that, be honest with the work that it's going to take for you to fulfill the goals to sustain mm -hmm. that or bring you to where you want to be. So I think like, I'd absolutely recommend anybody who feels a little bit um, like explorational mm -hmm. to discover that, to dig into any of his content, right? Like start with YouTube, start with, <laughs> with his podcasts and yeah. just consume him, like really consume his content for a week and understand the thoughts that are coming up with you and dig in. And I think the other thing that's blown my mind is uh, the power of collective groups online. Mm. The power of Facebook groups has been insane. Honestly, like a year ago, if you told me this, I've been like, huh, what are Facebook groups? You know, like, <laughs> are you even are... on Facebook? But there, there are people helping each other. You can ask questions. You don't have to read a book. You can just ask somebody and you, you find people that are on the same journey. And by the way, we have also a Facebook group and yeah. you can also ask questions if you want. And also there, for, for women these days, there are all these female leadership groups of boss mom or whatever female group and would you recommend also um other other girls or women here to to join one of these groups and what's what the heck is what are they doing in these groups because I i'm not in it anymore. and this okay. is coming from someone like i'm an engineer i've been mm -hmm. surrounded by in like in male dominated environments since mm -hmm. i was a teenager and i took you know higher maths and physics courses at school mm -hmm. and in my my early career i was such a i was i was a man in a woman's body to put it frank, you know, like I really felt like I had to behave like a man to succeed mm -hmm. in this male uh, dominated. And, and I think that reflecting back on those years, uh, especially in like my early twenties, 
I missed out on so much real opportunity and connection with with people that were worth it mm. because I was so arrogant in in my approach and very I don't want to call myself sexist, but I was I was not or anti-feminist, but I wasn't I was I never wanted to put women first because I was so driven for equality. But in this this drive for equality of, of always making sure that I was seen the same as a man, mm. I think I was very I was I was contributing to this this male dominated system that and and it's, it's it's sustenance really. So I think embracing like for someone like me to embrace the power of helping another woman on her path, telling her she's she's great, giving her advice, taking some time away from me to help her, doesn't take away from me at all. You know, it doesn't mm. take away from my journey or my success or even my time. It actually just gains me the, the feeling of, of belonging, the feeling of, of being connected and the, 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 the other human being that I have connected to and, and having someone have my back. Like what's happening in this, this women encouraging women movement mm. Mm. Um, now almost only online, of course, has been so enlightening to me. Honestly, and I can only say that I've wasted a lot of time trying to mm. fight this purpose uh, for the wrong reasons. So mm. any woman who feels like she's been, and any, every woman will have felt this, whether she's an engineer or, or not, uh, like every woman knows how it feels to be the only woman in a room and to not be taken seriously and be disrespected mm. from people holding up old standards. Um, I can only like find like there's going to be a women's group uh, in every country that you're in. I'm in a group called Women Rock Switzerland and it's almost 10,000 members. And this place is incredible. It's yes. absolutely insane. Like I've, every time I post something there, like I get just a, a, a like a shower of positivity back. <laughs> it's incredibly um, empowering to, to know mm. that there are, there are people out there who just want to support and who are, are giving out. And there are a lot of people that still stay silent and will still support. You know, and everybody's on their own path, but I can see this from somebody who, who, who wastes yes. a lot of time. Women, go find your tribes. <laughs> yes, there they are also on Meetup. You can find uh, some of these groups or yeah. there's a lean in from the Facebook uh, CEO. And yeah, just just Google it and find it. And I think um, also I've seen some of um, some women that um, are in these groups and they gain a lot of a lot out of it. And also then. I think men have also to find their groups and also to put to put more, more focus in, in 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 like building relationships than gaining knowledge or having yeah more in relationships than in, in objects I would I would call it and that's also I think an upgrade process for for the so for the man uh, to you know to we're my partner he's he's really jealous of, <laughs> of these women's groups yeah. he's like he's like oh, I want to find this positive place of encouragement too and. Uh, I think I think it's time, you know. Like Matthias, you should you should grab them and you know start your your worldwide men's encouragement group. <laughs> yeah, like a, a female man group um, to encourage each other, where we just try to be nice to each other and uh, yeah. help each other. Okay, but oh. for now I have my podcast and can talk to other people that are nice. I can choose them, so it's it's fine. Nice <laughs> we have to um, we have to close. I will um, also put a link to your um, to your product and um, maybe also where people can reach out to you. And yeah, thank you very much for the interview and um, see you next time. Hopefully, also in the Facebook group, maybe. Such a pleasure. Thanks so much, Matthias. Thanks. Ciao. 
Hey Matthias, do you think there are no financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddits, in Facebook groups, the Five Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.